religion is not an important consideration in the pagan religions. People seldom thought of the world around them as being created by a god or being called good by that god. Most of the religions had some colorful, usually sexual, behind it all. In Genesis, on the other hand, there is purpose. God creates not by an act of violence, but merely by speaking. Quote, God said, let there be, and so it was so. Close quotes. And quote, God saw that it was good. Close quotes. The climax of this never sees nature as divine. It is, as Genesis says, quote, quote, good, but it is not God. Genesis 1 does not even refer to the sun and moon directly. It calls them, quote, the greater light, close quote, and, quote, the lesser light, close quote. The writer was sending a message other religions believe the sun and moon are gods, but we don't. They are just part of the creation. Throughout the Bible, there is constant conflict between those who worship nature itself and those who see it as God's creation. Ultimately, the truth will be Genesis, it's about beginnings and disasters at the heart of it all today. We begin our walk through the Bible at the beginning, literally the beginning of the world. We look at the creation story in Genesis with humankind as the pinnacle of creation. Then the story of human pride and selfishness beginning with Adam and Eve, and continuing on through their offspring. This mostly sad story, sin spreads far and wide, is brightened by the saga of Noah, a moral man who is preserved from the extermination of 
sum up this chapter in this way. God creates, man sins. God preserves the good. So despite mankind's fall from grace, we are sustained by his promise of hope and love. From the very start, God never gave up on his people as he will never give up on each and every one of us. After the flood, more evil. This Genesis continues. Genesis never says that Noah's wife, his sons, or his son's wives were righteous, just Noah himself. But Genesis chapter 9 verses 20 to 29 shows that even virtuous people can go astray. Noah plants a vineyard and makes wine and becomes drunk. He lies in his tent uncovered, meaning naked or nearly so. One of his son's hands sees him in the condition that tells the other two brothers and tells the other two brothers, Shem and Japheth. Out of respect for their father, they walk backward into the tent and drape some cloth over their father. Noah wakes from his drunken stupor and pronounces a curse on the less respectful hand but a blessing on the other two brothers. The story puzzles us, raising some questions. Was Noah getting drunk such a horrible thing? And why was Ham cursed just as telling his brothers that their father was uncovered? The truth is that being drunk is not a good thing or else all this negative activity would not have happened just as in modern day times where a driving while intoxicated takes the lives of innocent victims while the driver is hardly hurt and other, other causes of violence and crime take place under the influence of alcohol. Presumably the issue here is respect for one's parents. The fact that Ham told his brothers that he was, he saw suggest, that what he saw suggest, he wanted them to share his amusement as seeing Father Noah in such a condition. People in Bible times took parental authority seriously. Shem and Japheth did the right thing. They had no desire to see their father drunk and uncovered. There is a memorable moral lesson here. The human evil that God blotted out with the flood has come back, with even the righteous Noah behaving badly, and one of his sons as well. Genesis 10 is called the Table of Nations because it tells of the descendants of Noah's three sons. This group of genealogies makes for a dull reading, but it is worth noting that the name 
centuries to label the tribes that, loosely speaking, are descended from those sons. Various languages and tribes of Africa are referred to as Hamitic, after the son Ham. Shem's name is perpetuated in the words Semitic, used to refer to the Hebrews and others, including today's Arabs. In the Bible, Shem's descendants are the main characters, since from Shem descends Yaakov, also called Israel. The ancestors of the twelve tribes known as the Israelites were simply Israel, the chosen people. Jews trace their descendants their descendants from Shem, which is why hostility towards Jews is known as anti-Semitism. The genealogies are interesting for another reason. The descendants of Ham, cursed by Noah, are the ancestors of the various nations that troubled Israel over the centuries. The Egyptians, Canaanites, Babylonians, Assyrians, and others. The descendants spread out into the earth of the flood. See that in chapter 10 of Genesis, verse 32. At this time, all mankind spoke the same language. Some people settled in a plain called Shinar, an area that today is in Iraq. That plane, they decided to make a monument to human ingenuity. Quote, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Close quote. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. The Lord sees the tower being built and perceives their motivation. They are trying to do what their ancestors had believed in, be gods themselves. The old sins of pride and self-sufficiency are at work, but God frustrates their arrogant plans. He confuses their language, making it impossible for them to understand each other. They can no longer communicate enough to build the tower so they scatter over the earth. <coughs> exactly what they didn't want to happen, happens. The location of the unfinished tower is called Babel, which purely by coincidence resembles our English word Babel. The literal meaning of the Hebrew word Babel is, quote, gate of God, close quote. The foolish builders must have believed they could open a gateway into heaven. The Babel story provides an explanation for something humans have long wondered about. Why do people speak different languages? Asking whether the story is literally true is to miss the point of it. The Torah was an attempt to be godlike. Human beings cannot, of course, build a tower into heaven, but the point of the story is they made the attempt. 
In the Babel story, human alienation from God and from each other has become so great that humans can no longer communicate with each other. We pause here to fast forward several centuries to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts 2 reports that Jesus' disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, able to speak in languages they had never learned. This amazing phenomenon was interpreted by the early Christians as a kind of undoing of what happened at Babel. Because of human arrogance, God gave people different languages. But when people preached the message of the gospel, God made it possible for them to communicate in other languages. That somewhat hopeful note, we end this chapter looking forward to another daily lesson where the focus shifts uh, to another Noah like Noah man, Abraham, whose close personal relationship with God will result in the descendants becoming, quote, chosen people, close quote, Israel, the focus of the, of the rest of the Old Testament. Hope you enjoyed this review. God bless you. Character close-up on Noah. The people who wrote the Bible had a high opinion of Noah, and rightly so. Since the world was mirrored in wickedness, while Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. You can find this quote on Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. We weren't given any specifics about just how he showed his righteousness, nor are we told much about the forms human wickedness took except that God was appalled at the violence. See Genesis chapter 6 verse 13. Centuries later, some of Israel's prophets recalled Noah and the flood story, remembering not only Noah's virtue, but the mercy of God in preserving a good man. See Isaiah chapter 54 verse 9. The prophet Ezekiel mentioned Noah. Daniel and Hope as being among the paragons of right living. See chapter 14, verse 20 in Ezekiel. Centuries later, the Christian author of the letter to the Hebrews wrote, quote, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Close quote. And you can see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Noah's faith must have been monumental since he was willing to take God's word something so enormous and enduring 
mind stamina that few of us possess. Elsewhere, the New Testament refers to Noah as, quote, a preacher of righteousness, close quote, for God saved from disaster. See 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. Through the centuries, the Noah story has been an illustration of God preserving the righteous man in times of disaster. No wonder the early Christians often used the ark as a symbol of God's care for his people. That is all I know of. Genesis must touch on the issue of creation and evolution. Both religious people and skeptics express some amazement that in the 21st century, the old battle, science versus the Bible, is still being fought. Skeptics consider the matter settled scientifically. Evolution is no longer just a theory, they believe.
Bible, where from the very beginning there is only one God, and everything that exists in His creation with no malicious spirits, quote unquote, inhabiting rocks and trees, God calls His creation good. But the rocks, trees, stars, sun, and moon are not seen as gods or spirits. The Bible depersonalizes nature, and if it were not depersonalized, modern science would not have arisen. In the Bible, then, nature is not to be worshipped or feared, but to be understood. Only God is divine, and only man is made in God's image. Everything has its place. Did you know this about Adam and Eve? After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God was concerned that they might, man, might try to eat the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. This is in Genesis 3.22. Once they were banished from Eden, they lost their access to the tree. But in the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, the tree of life exists in heaven, the new Jerusalem, where it bears fruit in all seasons. See Revelation chapter 22 verse 2. It is a real blessing. Now with regard to cultural insights of work as represented in the Bible and the book of Genesis, we might say is work, quote unquote, a four-letter word. It may seem that way in our own culture where fewer and fewer people engage in farming and manufacturing jobs. People today desire more leisure time and office jobs are considered more desirable than manual labor. The Hebrews had an entirely different view. From the very beginning, man had work to do. Quote, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Close quote. This is in Genesis 2.15. The Old Testament assumes that work, which for most people meant working with one's hands, is a normal and natural part of human life. Saul, Israel's first king, plows in the fields, and the Bible gives no hint that this was beneath the king's dignity. Paul, the great apostle, who could have lived off the contributions of the churches he administered to, plied his trade as a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter, and the first Christians felt no shame that the man they believed was the Son of God worked with his hands for a living. The Old Testament prophets had harsh words for the idle and immoral rich. They must have realized that work not only enables people to make a living, 
God's original intention for human beings to work. But the sweaty labor that most people have endured over the centuries is the result of Adam's disobedience. It's 
sets us apart from animals since God gives man permission to kill animals for food, but the shedding of man's blood is forbidden. Quote, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Close quote. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. This command is given after the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So even though human sin has entered the world, God still thinks of man as being in his image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 makes it clear that both male and female are in the image of God. Woman is by no means inferior to man. Putting the word to work number one. As you go through the day, think of what it means for human beings to be made, quote, in the image of God, close quote. Consider what behaviors human beings exhibit that show the divine image. Put another way, what do we do that makes us distinct from the animals? Something to think about. Okay, the second question is, consider your own and other people's attitudes towards creation. Do people view it as a good gift of God, or do they tend to worship nature itself? How do these attitudes affect our daily lives, laws, decisions, and beliefs? Part 3. Picture yourself as the man or woman tempted in Eden. Would you have behaved any differently than they did? Why? Have you ever faced any, quote, Garden of Eden moments, close quote, in your own life? Did you own up to what you did? Or did you try evasion or shifting the blame on someone else instead of yourself? Part 4. Notice advertising, TV, magazines, and internets, if not other advertising, and how most of it holds out the classic Eden temptations. X product is, quote, pleasing to the eye, close quote, will make us, quote, wise, close quote, or even godlike. Close quote. To what extent is our culture in general, and yourself in particular, motivated to purchase by such temptations? Something to think about. Now, part five. Think of the Noahs, moral people surrounded by immorality that you've known either personally or by reputation? What helped them maintain their integrity? Did their faith make a difference? It is something to think about.